Welcome to First Cape Friday, episode 17. We'll be discussing the First Cape episode, Through the Looking Glass. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hello! Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Through the Looking Glass. While the crew is arguing over leaving Moyad, since she can no longer starburst on cue due to her pregnancy, Pilot makes the announcement that in order to convince them she is a still a good ship, Moya will try for an emergency starburst. The half-powered starburst leaves the crew split into four different realms, and they struggle to put the ship together before they're eviscerated by an unseen monster. Through the looking glass. I love this episode. So this is our second Alice in Wonderland reference. And it's one of my favorite episodes of season one. Uh, it's a bottle episode that doesn't feel like a bottle episode, which I think is really cool. And the main theme of the episode, working together, is mirrored by the plot. So you have the crew who is arguing at the beginning, and they're talking about splitting up and leaving Moya. And then Moya gets split apart. And only through the crew working together does she come back together into being in the right place in one realm. And it ends with the crew even closer than ever. It's really slick. Yeah, and the episode kind of starts with them all talking very explicitly about leaving Moya. But it's not even just that they're talking, they're actually arguing about it because you have a lot of different viewpoints on this crew. You have Erin, who this is her home. She can't go back to the Peacekeeper. She can't really see herself living on the ground. You have the rest of them who are trying to get home. And you have Chiana, who's brand new to this whole thing. So she's <laughs> kind of like, well, I just got here. Um, and actually, I want to play a clip of it because this isn't the first time that Farscape has started with everybody arguing with each other. The scene is interesting because usually it's them all arguing with each other and they're all moving or they're all somewhere, but they're all having a family style dinner. And you can tell that they set this up as like, well, we're going to get a big dinner. We're going to talk about this. And it just kind of devolved. So let's listen. The rest of you decide I will not abandon Moya. Good. Suit yourself. You've got nowhere to go anyway. I must confess my consternation at agreeing with Doug. But if Moya is no longer able to stab us, then we are all at risk. Hmm? Can I say something? No. no. Look, Moya has been very good to us. Now you want to abandon her? Mm. I want to see my son, and that is not likely to happen aboard a pregnant biomechanoid ship. Roger, what do you think? Well, Moya has been, for as long as I can remember, our protector, our home, our companion, and our friend. Amen. However, as relationships grow, they also change. Do you think we can trade her for a faster vessel? Moya is not a possession, your loneliness. <laughs> there's just a lot to love so that was just a very short clip and some of the stuff that we didn't play is them talking about the food intermittently like who the hell cooked this kind of thing it's really really cute and one of the other things that comes a little bit later is John's reasons for wanting to stay is not just because he likes Moya but because he wants to stay where the wormholes are whereas we saw in a human reaction previous episode there was a wormhole that took him to the fake earth but you know, he wants to stay in the vicinity where he has that opportunity again. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of hear their differing viewpoints. And I love Rigel's clip there because, oh, it's so <laughs> funny. I love Rigel. <laughs> because in IET and then again in Back and Back and Back to the Future, we found out that Rigel has been on Moya longer than anybody. And he is also one of the creatures that kind of has a very close relationship with Moya. And at the same time, he kind of ends it with, eh, you think we could trade her for something faster? <laughs> <laughs> no sentimentality is lost on Rigel. Oh um, my goodness. I love that Aaron is so defensive of Moya and Pilot. Like, she really does care for them as themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's not just that she has nowhere to go. I mean, she genuinely has this really close bond with Pilot, and she appreciates that Moya has saved her life and saved all of them and has been a place that they can live together. Yeah, and I think that right there she is kind of saying it as abandoning because she knows that if the rest of them are not on Moya, Moya will probably get recaptured. Yeah, they are her defense system. Yeah, they are. I mean, after PK Tecro, we, we haven't seen Moya's defense screen in a while, and mm -hmm. it, it is a moment where Aaron is 
caring about something other than herself. And not like she hasn't done this in the past. Like, she's cared about the rest of them before. And we've seen her do things for the rest of them before. But this is the first time where she's kind of made an explicit choice to stay versus just staying because of inertia. Yeah. Like, she's really sticking up for Moya and Pilot as opposed to be... As opposed to being carried along and reacting, she's being proactive here. Mm -hmm. And Chiana, oh my god, I love Chiana here. <laughs> so the rest of them are kind of like arguing and they're going back and forth and they're making points. And Chiana keeps going, hey, can I say something? And the rest of them no. are like, no. <laughs> and, they keep, and she does this like several times. And then kind of as they're having this conversation, Pilot comes up on the clamshell. And Chiana's like, yeah, that's what I was trying to tell you. <laughs> there are all these DRDs in here, and they listening. all are listening. Yeah. It's a really uncomfortable conversation that follows with Pilot, because Pilot's been listening to say, hey, we're going to ditch you and trade you in for a younger model. And, you know, he and Moya really don't want that to happen. They love having a crew. They feel safer with the crew. They, they want to serve other people. And I think that's as much about loneliness and safety as it is about that desire to serve. And he's, he's like the kid at the lunch table that's sitting by himself while all the other kids are at the other table, all the cool kids. And that's how the he, he and Moya kind of come across. They're like the outcasts at the other table. I mean, they're not like explicitly like shoved away, but they're not allowed to sit with the cool kids to make this kind of decision or be part of this discussion, even though it's about them. Even though Pilot's kind of been like, oh yeah, we like having a crew. This is the first time that Pilot's explicitly said, hey, we really like having you guys. Yeah, you know? and to prove it, we're going to do this really difficult thing that we don't have the energy to do. So Moya's pregnancy is what's kind of at the heart of this episode also because that's what's preventing her from being able to starburst. It's preventing her from having enough energy to do things like that. And it's kind of holding, holding her back. And she doesn't want it to hold her back because she doesn't want to lose, them, lose the crew over it. So she does the starburst that she doesn't have enough energy for. And now we find out what happens when you go into Starburst and things don't go well. And at the beginning, they don't know what's going on. All they know is that they're in Starburst, it's a horrible one. And then when they come to a stop, Dargo and Rigel disappear. And then a moment later, Aaron disappears like in the middle of the hallway. And they're like, what is going on? Something is wrong here. And then that's the plot of this episode is figuring out what is wrong and then having to work together to come back to, to figuring it out and getting Moya safely back into regular space. Mm -hmm. The way it's set up is at first, you know, very typical sci-fi, like, oh, somebody's disappeared. And Pilot's like, oh, they're on such and such a level. But then when you go to that level, the person isn't there. Yeah. Which is very yeah. kind of a typical way of, you know, kind of creating tension. But they don't even pause for the tension here because this episode is just so like back to like everything is so packed so tightly. Yeah. In this episode. And yet you still get these really, really great character moments. And I want to talk about Chiana first because this is her real first episode with the crew. In a human reaction last episode, she was kind of pushed to the side because she didn't have a space in the story, which is fine. And here we actually finally get to see Chiana in action beyond her introduction. And it's really great. She doesn't know if she wants to be here. I mean, she said yes to staying because what were her options? But now that she's here and crazy stuff is happening, she's not sure she wants it. And I want to play one of the really early clips with her and John in the beginning of the episode where she wants to leave. She's ready to take a transport pod and get out of there. And here's their conversation. Rigel is on tier A. You'll have to find him on foot. Me? Get thrilled. Listen, sunshine, you want to be part of this crew? On your good days. This is one of the good days. I thought you were junior Miss Tough Chick of the Universe. Well, I can kiss or kick or cry my way out of it. This is way, 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 way different. You bet your ass it is. And Pilot can't get the outer doors open, so you can fly that pod around on its pad. Chana, it's gonna be okay. Pilot's on the job. To right. Roger. And what I love about that is there's a couple things going on with Chiana there. The first is kind of her, her emotional arc, her mini arc throughout that conversation where she's like, no, I have no way in hell going to be helping you out here. 
And then when she realizes there's no way for her to get away from these people who are making her life endangered, there's this emotion on her face and, and she comes around to it that she's like, okay, I'm stuck here. I'm going to do it. She's like, okay, I'll go find Rigel on tier eight. Starting to accept that, you know, she has something she can do to focus on and she's going to help out. And the other thing I wanted to mention in the premiere episode, one of the things we talked about with characters that we met was their thesis statements. And this is Chiana's thesis statement. Junior Miss, what is it? Junior Miss Tough Guy of the Universe. <laughs> yeah, Junior Miss Tough Chick of the Universe. Where she can kiss, kick, or cry her way out of any situation. And that is Chiana's character in a nutshell at this stage. And I really just love that phrase that describes her because it really is very apt. Because these are the things that we saw her do in, in Durka Returns. You know, she was playing to John's sympathies. She was crying. She was, you know, making the most of what she could do with her body and her capabilities to get out. And it was very much in this, I'm going to draw you in and manipulate you until you help me out kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And here she's in a new situation that people are starting to get to know her and it's not going to be working out the way she expects. Well, and John also says, I thought you wanted to be a part of this crew because she has explicitly said that she wants to stay. Like at the end of Durka Returns, he's like, listen, you can stay if you want, but staying is a choice kind of thing was what was how he presented it to her was that you stay, you play by our rules, which means makes it a choice and not just her being buffeted by fate. And so you know, he says here, I thought you wanted to be a part of the crew. And she's like, yeah, on your good days. And he's like, this is a good day. And I'm kind of like, is it though? <laughs> it's a semi-good day. I think that the crew at this point has shined when they're under stress. Like all those times I mentioned in the beginning of, you know, episodes starting with them fighting. Episodes never end with them fighting. Episodes always start with them fighting. So it kind of feels like it's in the space between their adventures that the crew doesn't have, isn't good for each other. And it's yeah. during their adventures that they're strong. Yeah. And so John kind of being like, well, this is one of our good days. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, I can kind of see it from her perspective too, of like, she comes in, you're like, hey, join us, but it has to be a choice and you're going to be part of our crew and you got to play by our rules. And then like not five minutes later, the crew's like, yeah, we're all going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good point. I think that comment's a little bit of a meta comment by the writers through John of like, this is a good good day because the stakes in this episode are different from the stakes in some of the other episodes we've seen. But I also like that there's this sentiment that their lives are chaotic and this is stuff is going to happen and part of being on the crew is having the good with the bad. That because it's, it's like any kind of relationship, there's going to be good parts and bad parts to it, parts that you don't connect with your group or your or your people around you and parts that you do. And part of what this episode shows in its whole totality is them getting through things as a group together and those relationships being stronger for it. Mm -hmm. And Chiana really is the first member of their group that's explicitly chosen to stay not out of necessity because everybody else is essentially here because they need to be because Moya is free transport. So it means that they don't have to pay for where they're going. <laughs> Moya's Moya and pilot are fairly, you know, amiable to like, Hey, let's try and get back home through these, un, you know, uncharted territories kind of thing. And with the exception of Aaron at the beginning of this episode, the rest of them haven't chosen to stay. Chiana is the first one that actually is here because she wants to be here which kind of makes her choice more interesting than the rest of theirs throughout this episode, mm -hmm. um, for me at least. Well, here, here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. Yes, she chose to stay, but where else would she go? I mean, she could go anywhere. She's made, it, she's made it super clear that she has the ability to jump ships. She has the ability to, you know, get places without paying for it. She also, and I mean, this has also been like a little bit explicit, you know, she's willing to sell some things that other people probably are not willing to sell true. in order to get what she wants. That's true. And she's willing to steal. She's willing to... I mean, I think that of all of them, Chiana's probably the most capable at sheer survival. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And that's, you know, that's exactly what we're seeing now. She sees a situation that is extremely dangerous and she wants to jump ship and leave. And that makes a lot of sense from a selfish point of view, which honestly, when you're surviving, is totally legitimate to be completely selfish about that. 
Mm -hmm. So John convinces Chiana to go look for Rigel because Zan can't. She has ripped the fibers in her arm. And so Zan's kind of down for the count in this episode. Um, and so he and Chiana go, or I forget where he's going actually when he sends Chiana. So he's, he's looking for Dargo and Aaron when he's sending Chiana to go look for Rigel. And so he ends up finding the passageways between the different Moyas. And one of them is a red Moya where the light is really different and it gives John a migraine and it gives Dargo a migraine and you see them throwing up all over the place because it feels really awful. It's like penetrating light. Um, they miss each other on the first pass. So John doesn't see Dargo while he's there and he keeps going through to the next spot which is blue where sound is a problem john doesn't have a negative physical reaction to it other than he can't hear anything and that's where aaron is and they have oh my god the best pantomime conversation is like charades where they're talking about looking for dargo and looking for rigel and i just love it and i think we're gonna have to gif it because it's too so awesome. good it's so <laughs> good just, like moving their hands to make it look yeah it's great it's great so aaron's there and that's i think where they have the first encounter with the light creature that is the terrifying other elements in this weird dimensional situation with them and they don't know what's going on with it but it basically it like cuts off the nose of aaron's prowler and it pisses her off Mm -hmm. so that's the light creature that's kind of in the background part of the plot john continues on and he ends up in the yellow moya so those are the three there's red blue and yellow where rigel actually is well there's red blue and yellow and then there's the regular moya yeah but no more other colored moyas mm -hmm. in yellow moya where rigel is it's the happy laughter laughing gas personality changing yeah i assumed it was one. like some sort of drug like they'd changed the air somehow so that it was like a laughing gas kind of thing or so that people were just perpetually high it's so funny it's so like this episode right. is so, <laughs> so hilarious funny. because for an episode that has pretty high it's stakes so good. you know you have the pantomime scene which is just what farscape is so good at the physical comedy we talked about it we've talked about it before but physical comedy and farscape just go hand in hand it's very very well done and then it's you so also good. have like Rigel being just off the charts hilarious and it's like when you watch two people that are really enjoying what they're doing and they're like laughing even though something is like not like super funny funny you're laughing with them because it's just so yeah. joyful and that's the entire Rigel scenes in this in this episode yeah and there's these parts where, where John's like stop laughing you're making me laugh <laughs> kind of back and forth because they're they're both in this yellow world that's what happens to them it is they're telling jokes and the and it's just it's actually a couple really great rigel and john moments in there where they're they're having a good time with each other despite the dire situation as even though john's like i have to figure this out i have to figure this out stop making me laugh well and it's, it's especially <laughs> funny because then john is like john is like i can't stay here or i'll end up like you and rigel's like what unbearably handsome and i just start it's like, so funny it's so good it's uh, so great and so john is the common thread throughout this episode he's the one that figures out the route between all the moyas and and goes and checks in with everybody so we're really in a john-centric point of view and i think it works really well because he's the one with all the pieces that are getting put together. And one of those pieces, when he comes back to regular Moya, is what actually happened. And it turns out that they are stuck in Starburst. So Moya did not have enough energy to get them pushed back out into normal space, and that's what caused this rift. And they crashed into another dimension, which split her into these multiple Moyas. Mm -hmm. And this is another really uncomfortable conversation with Pilot. When Pilot actually tells them what he thinks has happened, and they're like, why didn't you tell us this before? And it's part of all of Pilot and Moya's anxiety about the crew thinking they can or cannot do the job that they need to do to take care of everyone that he holds back and doesn't tell them. Yeah. And it's it's kind of, I don't know, it makes me kind of upset for Pilot and Moya because they feel like they can't trust the crew. And it's just, it's a little bit hard seeing them feeling so anxious about it. Yeah, well, to be honest, I don't think they can trust the crew at this point because the crew, the crew essentially was having this conversation about abandoning them, and they weren't like they didn't come to Pilot and Moya and say, "Hey, by the way, we're going to have this conversation where we're going to talk about what we're going to do because you need to have your baby, but we need to stay away from the peacekeepers." So, 
you know, listen in if you want. They literally just planned this feast and have this dinner and they're talking about leaving and they're talking about it in a really callous way. They were not being kind about it, you know? Yeah. And so you can kind of see from Moya and Pilot's perspective why that would be terrifying. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because it's one thing to kind of, you know, have people kind of grumble about, you know, like, oh, you know, I wish we had Starburst. But it's another to have a sit down meeting about who's going to stay and who's going to leave Moya, you know. So I think that for for Pilot and Moya, that would be terrifying, you know. And Mm -hmm. so when when they do figure out what's happening and Pilot kind of is like, well, I think we're kind of stuck between dimensions and he's like, but I think if we all try backing out of Starburst at the same time, we would probably end up okay. He and John are together in Pilot's den, and Pilot is teaching John how to put Moya in Star Reverse, so that in the alternate, you know, split offs in the alternate color universes, he John can put all the other Moyas in Reverse. And let's just listen to their conversation. You know, Pilot. Moya did not have to go into Starburst until she was ready. Now is hardly the time for recriminations, Commander. Wasn't recrimination. We should have been more upfront about our feelings. How's she doing? Same as us. Scared. Well, we'll do what we can. She knows. And so there you've got Pilot who's, you know, he sees John's initial comment, John's olive branch is kind of a recrimination. He sees it as kind of John being like, you guys shouldn't have done this. And John was just trying to be kind. John was just kind of being, trying to be like, you know, he's trying to apologize. Yeah, he's trying to apologize. You know, he was trying to say that they shouldn't have done that, that it wasn't, that it wasn't a kind thing to do. Yeah. The other thing I love about this scene is how the physicality of it again because John is standing with Pilot on Pilot's side of the of the command controls. You get this really great intimacy between them because they're standing right next to each other. Because usually Pilot's separated by the clamshell or by the the controls that he works at. But here John is like right next to him and he even pats him on the shoulder afterwards. And this is a really nice physical setting for them. Mm-hmm. And you're right because usually there's this distance between the rest of them and Pilot. And Pilot's really only ever touched Aaron on Aaron by choice and then Zan and Rigel when they were cutting off his arm. It is kind of a nice moment. And also you get a good idea of the size difference because Pilot is the one who feels helpless. But in terms of size, he is so much larger than John is. He's really big. Yeah. It's it's like, I don't know, I think it is a very sweet scene because we, we see a part of John that um, John that is the peacemaker, John that is the one who solves things by talking, John that is the one that kind of that kind of sees some things that maybe the others miss. Yeah, and the one who's willing to be emotionally available too and open up about, you know, we should have talked about our feelings, mm-hmm. you know, and recognizing that's something that they should have done. And here he is trying to do that with, with Pilot and to make that situation better. Yeah, because we've talked in the past about the traits that are typically masculine and typically feminine, and here it is again. I think that Erin, even though she's the one that empathizes the most with Pilot, in terms of she still has some of his DNA, and she's still the one that defends him. (laughs) She's the one that says to, you know, Rigel, he's not, Moya is not a possession, your (laughs) loneliness. So she's the one that is defensive of Moya. I don't think she necessarily would have been the one to apologize, especially not at this moment in time. No. And anyway, in this situation, she can't because she's off in the blue world and, and Dargo's off in the red world. So John goes back through around first to Dargo, and this time he takes Chiana with him. So John and Dargo both get awful migraines in the Red World, but Shiana's eyes are like perfectly adapted to it. And she's like, ah, this is great. So he goes and shows Dargo the sequence for putting Moya in reverse. They both are kind of miserable and they suggest that Shiana stay. And she's like, no, I am not staying here alone. And she says it a couple of times. It's a pretty fun little scene. And so here you can also see the difference in John and Dargo's relationship and how it's grown. There's a lot of friendship in this because John's like, oh, this stuff makes me feel awful, but I can stay because I know the sequence and you don't have to do it. And Dargo's like, no, you're even worse off than I am. I'll stay. I'll do it. You go on and do the rest of it. There's a 
a much stronger sense of friendship between the two of them that's evidence of how it's grown from how they were like we could never be friends until the blood runs clear like five or six episodes ago Mm -hmm. I really love how their friendship has evolved Mm -hmm. well and also Chiana has a couple of interesting moments in that scene first of all when John is taking her with him to go through the realms to have backup and to have somebody else that can do the sequence and everything he calls her Pip for the first time, which oh, right. <laughs> I was like, as soon as he did that, I like kind of squealed and clapped my hands. <laughs> yeah, that's his favorite nickname for her. And then also there's a moment when she goes into the Red Realm and John is kind of explaining to Dargo what's going on. He's like, we need to put Moya in reverse because we're split into four different universes, blah, blah, blah. And then he and then he's like, have you ever heard of anything like that? And Dargo's like, no, but Chiana's like, ooh, yeah, I've heard of something like that. And she says that Nabari scientists once did it once, but it destroyed the solar system. She's like, it turned four habited, you know, inhabited planets into rubble kind of thing. Right, right. And it's, and I, I, this kind of comes back because I'm like, I really, I can't, they never really explore the Nabari, you know, on a grand scale the way they do with some other alien species. And this is one of those episodes that really makes me regret it because I'm like, that just sounds like they would be such powerful villains. Yeah, yeah. So much power and how do you stand against them and those questions that it brings up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Animal comes back and they're all, you know, shooting at it. And there's a great moment about, you know, with John and Dargo being friends where they're in the den and John has set up the sequence because the sequence is so long <laughs> that, like, there's no way Dargo or anybody else could memorize it. So John memorized it, and he set it up except for the very last, you know, thing that Dargo has to do. And he's like, you know, just press this, and, you know, we'll we'll do it. <laughs> and then Dargo's like, get out of here. You're about to vomit. Don't vomit in here. <laughs> <laughs> and the look on his face is like, I don't want any of that in here. And it's just like, it's like your best friend, and you're sick, and you're in their car, and they're like, don't vomit in the car. Don't vomit in the car. It's exactly like that. And it's just... Again, the physical comedy here is so brilliant with Dargo, and it's just, oh, I love it. I know, and then, like, when John does vomit, like, like Dargo and Chiana both have this, like, ooh, like, sympathetic <laughs> oh, reaction. <you> <laughs> oh, it's so good. So then they, they head off to the Blue Realm, and Chiana, Chiana looks like she's about to have a, an aneurysm or something because of the noise. Yeah, she does not handle the noise well at all. So John rushes her through to the next checkpoint and basically shoves her through the portal. And then he stays and talks to Aaron, who has figured out a way to talk using headsets. Yeah, let's (laughs) play the clip. Hey, much much better. You all right? Aaron, this is genius. I modified flight headsets to block out acoustic wavelengths, that's all. It's not bad for the girl who hates to do homework. Well, it's military tech. It's battle-tested. Why did you not shoot at that thing? She comes back in the room when the thing is the the creature, light animal, whatever creature thing is there, and John doesn't shoot at it. But I just love with Aaron and John's back and forth right there. It goes back to her whole not liking science and tech work being beneath her. And I love how she qualifies it here, saying it's like, it's military tech, so it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely is a callback to in Thank God It's Friday again, where she's like, well, it was like a field exercise. Like her only way really of talking about science is talking about it through her military background. And here she's like, it's battle tested versus, you know, whatever experiments John usually does is kind of the feeling you get. It's exactly. so good. I love Erin here. And we can see her, you know, just getting more comfortable with what her life is going to ask her to be from now on. Because mm-hmm. from now on, she won't be able to be, you know, the kind of marauder, peacekeeper, strict by the book, no science for you kind of person. She's going to have to be more flexible. Yeah. And here she's super competent, too. I mean, not only does she fix the headsets and get them working anticipating when John comes back and they'll need them but as soon as John says hey here's the sequence from pilot I better show you to show it to you she's like no don't need to do that I know the sequence I have pilot's DNA I learned it when I was you know morphed into that so she's got this instinctual knowledge of how to run the ship and it's just like she's super confident in herself and it's like it's just beautiful to see someone so competent and who knows it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definite, like, kind of competence porn. 
You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I think it's turning John on, too. <laughs> oh, for certain. You can tell he's, like, really into it, you know? Yeah. There's actually, like, a genre of TV shows that are, like, Leverage was one. was a yes. really good example. Yes. Burn Notice. Yeah, Burn Notice is another really good one, where it's, like, people that are just good at their jobs. Where, like, the whole, you know, TV show is based on the premise that, like, these people are just very good at what they do. Yeah. And that's yeah. kind of the feeling you get from Erin here, is, like, that she's, like... <laughs> whatever, John, I can science, I can pilot, pilot, <laughs> I can, you know, use weapons really well. And oh, by the way, I can totally pilot Moya as well. <laughs> I'm awesome. Yeah. You know, this is their building relationship is it's definitely shining here because because they are in a place where they can banter back and forth. She trusts him to get her the information she needs. He trusts her to get the job done even though it might be something out of her area of expertise from first blush, but turns out it's not. She's just very, very good at it, and he respects it. And, yeah, totally turning him on. Yeah, it's great. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's interesting that we've kind of talked about their building relationship because their relationship really is kind of an inverse of a lot of the OTPs we see on TV shows. Because typically what happens is, you know, you have a couple and then they spend six seasons and then in season six, they finally get together and it's just like a whole season of, you know, a couple being together. And But with John and Aaron, they've kind of skipped the longing part because they've already slept with each other. <laughs> they've already had sex and they've already acknowledged that there's this very physical chemistry between the two of them. But because of the way Aaron was brought up, the tension is really in their growing emotional relationship. Yeah, that's the long game between them is accepting another person into your life as someone important and willing to fight for and die for and and be with mm -hmm. in all the senses that you could be with somebody. Yeah, because later on in the episode, after they have a different plan, which we'll talk about right now, John has to go back into the other realms and tell them something new to do. And when he comes back to Aaron's realm... She is out of the den and she's trying to get back to regular Moya. And she's like, yeah, I, th I thought you'd left me. And there's this moment of like, I would never leave you. Yeah. And it's good. It's yeah. Just really good. It's really good. So they get, he goes to yellow. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> Chiana has corralled Rigel into the den. And that's about all she's done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Chiana and Rigel's relationship is kind of one of my favorite things because they're the two, they're the two characters on this show that are kind of really explicitly out for themselves. Like the rest of them are out for themselves. But they're kind of they kind of do it in a way that's like, no, but I'm also a good person. You know, Zan and, and Dargo are both really invested in kind of being good people. And so is John, yeah. really, um, yeah. even though they are kind of just out for their own self-interest. And so just seeing Chiana and Rigel getting along is just the best. And here, because they're in the yellow realm and they're just like everyone's happy and cracking jokes and they just have this wonderful little back and forth and meanwhile John is trying to be serious but he's laughing as he tries to explain things and it's really great. One of the clips I pull is my favorite bit of humor from this realm. They have to put in the ship in reverse and Rigel's like, dominars don't travel in reverse <laughs> and then he makes up a song. Hang tough Sparky. Enjoy the personality. <laughs> Oh, there is no expense of the mind the will cannot traverse, or physically the distance laid across the universe. There's blessings many in the stars, save one lamented curse. That 16th Rigel, glory me, must travel in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little dance that goes with that, but I can't do them both at the same time. <laughs> Well, and then, like Chiana is like balancing on the, you know, on on pilot controls. controls, and you know yeah. they're all just kind of laughing, and it's so it's so funny, and especially just that I can't get over <laughs> Rigel making up a drinking song about himself going backwards, <laughs> a little ditty in a dance. Yeah, that's the other thing I like with Chiana on on the controls is like. 
I love how in this show, and not just this episode, but throughout, everyone's climbing on Pilot's controls just to get closer to him and to hang out. It's like the couch of Moya, <laughs> the navigation <laughs> controls. And it comes back later when they all come back together. Mm -hmm. So John has got it set up so that all of the Moyas are now going in reverse, and he jumps back to the normal realm, and there's this interesting half moment where he comes back and at this point Zan is the only one left on normal Moya and she almost shoots him when she first sees him <laughs> and then he kind of and then they're running to pilot you know to be like hey we're all in reverse you know what's going on and he points out that she's wearing her vestments again and she says well it's because she thinks they're gonna die but also I don't know I think it I'm curious what you think it says about her character that she chooses this moment to come back to her faith well I think there's two things um one of the things that she actually says in that conversation is I might have dropped the priesthood in practice, but in my spirit, in my soul, I still fundamentally want to choose that path. And I think that's really important. And I think that combined with the fact that it's, it's been a few months, like it's been at least three months because we had that time in Jeremiah Crichton where they were looking for John for three months. I think there's been enough time for her to start healing from what happened to her on New Delvia with the other with the other priests. And so I think she's starting starting to to heal a little bit. And I think you see that with her personality too. Like in the episodes immediately after the the Unity disaster, she was very aggressive and and you know very you could see the cracks and cold and cracks in her personality that we of what we had known from the earlier episodes. I think we see a return to her personality from those those earlier episodes where she is much more compassionate. I mean, she's still speaking her mind and still not a priest, but she's those sentiments are coming back. I think it's time and patience, mm -hmm. as she yeah. said way back when. Yeah, way back, episode four. Four. <laughs> <laughs> it is good to see her kind of coming back to herself because yeah. then they go up to command, nothing is really happening, but John hasn't been shooting at the creature for a few times now. He's seen the creature a few times, and for some reason he's just kind of stopped, and he hasn't been shooting at it. And this goes back to my thing about John, one, not liking to use weapons at this point in the show, and number two, John thinking that there isn't a situation he can't talk his way out of. Yeah. Because he notices that the markings that the creature has left behind are all prime numbers. Right, which is... At least in Earth culture and in Farscape world, you know, a sign of communication. If you can recognize mathematics and the signature of mathematics is prime numbers because they exist, they are, they are considered to be absolute truths, then that is a signal that somebody is trying to communicate with you. Mm -hmm. Before we get too deep into to this part, I want to go back a little bit to the conversation that they have with Pilot, mm -hmm. where the reverse is not working. They can't actually get out of the stuck that they're in by going in reverse. And Pilot offers another solution that I'm going to play right now. Despite Moya's best efforts, we're still being drawn in. There is one very long shot. Anything, Pilot. Moya could willingly lose the baby. No. No way. It will definitely increase her power quotient Though I'm not sure if it is enough to get us free. Pilot, no. We cannot ask Moya to make that sacrifice. We should not have attempted Starburst when we did. Our insecurities have brought us to this place. Besides, the baby cannot survive if we don't. Pilot, listen to me. Whatever happens, we go together. We keep the baby. And I wanted to bring that one back up because Moya's baby is kind of at the heart of why they're in this position in the first place. She can't starburst. She doesn't have enough energy because all her energy and nutrients are going to the baby. And so this is why they're stuck. And here she's like, the solution to everyone's problems is losing the baby. Like they can get, they might be able to get out of the situation they're in and then she'd be able to starburst regularly. The crew wouldn't leave her. And it's kind of like a nuclear option, I guess, is how it comes across to me, at least, of like, here's the last ditch option that we have or that she has to try and try and get them out of here and save them because they're going to die because they're being torn apart 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's to Zan and John's credit that immediately the reaction is no. They're like, no, we're not going to ask that of her. Yeah. And it's not even a considered no. It's just this no. immediate gut reaction of no. Yeah. And I think it would have been the same for everybody, even including I so. Rigel. I don't think even Rigel would have accepted that as an option. Just yeah. because it is it is the nuclear option. You're asking someone to give up their child. And not just an embryo at this point, but something that Moya has invested time and energy into. And that Moya and clearly has, wants. Yeah, and clearly, clearly wants. I think Moya almost desperately wants this child because it is the first thing that she has had that the peacekeepers didn't put upon her Mm -hmm. in a while. It's the first thing that's really been hers. Yeah. You know, this and the crew, actually. These are the kind of the two things that that she has had on her own away from the peacekeepers. And it's, I don't know, it's just sad. The idea of Moya suggesting to Pilot that she could lose the baby makes me, I don't know, it makes me really upset. It makes me sad. No, it's very sad for Moya. And it's it's a horrible position to be in, too, because it's like on the one hand, you could all live, including Moya. And on the other, you have to get rid of this possibility of great joy and hope that she is carrying with her. Mm-hmm. So John realizes that the monster is trying to communicate and he sticks his head in to the kind of alternate dimension that the monster has been opening up to make the scratches in the first place. And he communicates with it, her, they. It's a female voice, but it's, again, in the interesting wavy cinematography of fuzzy brain shenanigans in an alternate dimension that don't really do anything. Mm -hmm. He talks to her. I'm going to call her her because it's a female voice. And (laughs) this is my thought. She's like the janitor of the other dimension. (laughs) Totally. Because her job is to mend breaches in the dimensions because they can't overlap and they're in the in Starburst is the space between that they're trapped in. Mm-hmm. And so her job is to go and close the rips. She's like a seamstress. <laughs> and I like that her job is to close rifts and her job is to essentially destroy anything that comes from one dimension and tries to come into the other. But because they're living creatures, she decides not to destroy them on sight. Right. Which actually is kind of, it's it's a thoughtful reaction. Yeah, it's a very compassionate reaction, too. I mean, she's not being willy-nilly destructo. It's very much a, assessing the situation and making adjustments to account for the new variables, which are living creatures. And so she tells John, okay, I can help you out in this situation. Stop going backwards, go forwards, and I can help push you the rest of the way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you kind of, you do visualize it as her kind of, you know, something kind of coming in and then her just like visually shoving yeah. them out. And so now John has to go in and go back to the other dimensions and tell everybody that now we're going forward. And I want to point out something before I forget it. The way, because in the blue realm, you can't hear anything because the sound is too noisy and the, the audio was kind of how he recognized the other dimensions was he was like, oh, I hear this kind of funky noise, and then that was like the cue that it was another dimension that was like yeah, right on the other portal. side. But because the blue dimension is so noisy, he actually doesn't hear that sound. What happens is he goes into Rigel's quarters looking for Rigel, and he realizes that Rigel has stolen his recorder. <laughs> yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> and, yes. that like, and we do have like also a recurrence of that painting Zan did of Rigel, which is really yeah. neat to see in the background. But also yeah. that like he's reaching for the recorder and that's how he falls into the yellow into realm. The yellow but I want to point that yeah. out. I thought that was very <laughs> hilarious. I just love the thought of Rigel just randomly going and filching people's things and then they know that they have to go to Rigel's quarters <laughs> occasionally to reclaim them. <laughs> well, technically, in human reaction, when Rigel, when John thought he was leaving the ship, he did gift all of his things to Rigel. No, he didn't. He said, I'm going to give them to somebody. I'm going to give them to Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Rigel wasn't going to get them. But yeah, anyway, Rigel steals things. It's kind of great. So they're all going forward now. And oh, the other one, (laughs) the other little note I want to point out, when he goes to Dargo in the Red Realm, and John says, okay, 300 microts, then we're a go. And Dargo's like, I don't have a timekeeper. (laughs) And it's the famous one Mississippi one, one Mississippi two, is how John shows him how to count it out. And then Dargo starts, and it's one mippy pippy one, one mippy pippy two. 
<laughs> the Mipipipi is like so epic. You will remember Mipipipi until like the end of the series. It will flat out be the most memorable thing that Dargo ever says on Farscape. <laughs> yes, and it's in all the fanfic too. So if you're wondering where that's from, this is the episode. <laughs> so great. I love Dargo. And I also have to point out that I always thought it was one Mississippi, two Mississippi. I didn't realize that like an actual second you needed to add that like one to the beginning yeah, of it. I've heard it both ways to quote Psych. It's. I think it's equivalent, and I think Dargo does it one Mississippi, two Mississippi, but John's doing the one Mississippi, one one Mississippi, two version. Okay. So yeah, there's two versions. Okay. So if anyone has thoughts on how you should count Mississippis, let us know. We'll take a census. Mississippi, love it. The other thing is Dargo wants to like argue about it. Dargo's like, "Can I ask why we're doing this?" And John's like, "No, no time, go." So then he jumps to Aaron's realm. And I think flat out the best part of him jumping to Aaron's realm is he tells her what needs to be done. She's like, okay, I know how to do that. I'll take care of it. And he's like, okay, you've got 150 microts. And she's like, well, now I've got 130. Yeah. Because she yeah. actually can keep time and she is <laughs> counting. So then he goes to Rigel's quarters to go through to the yellow where Chiana and Rigel are still in the den. And he's not trusting them to do anything. He just told them what to do in case something went wrong. So he gets behind and sets up the new sequence. This is my favorite part of the episode, okay? So they all go forward at the right time together, and it's all coordinated, and you can see the dimensions coming back together into real Moya. So yellow Moya merges back, and red Moya and blue Moya. And as it happens, everybody who's in a pilot's den lands on pilot's console. And so the entire crew, including Zan, because Zan's hanging out with pilot at the time. And so they all just land on his console, and they're just laughing because they worked and they were happy and they made it work and they're together again and everything's going to be fine. And it's just this beautiful scene and I love it. They're all having such a good time. Do you know what I mean? Like it just <laughs> seems like this joyous reunion kind of thing. Yeah. I, in my notes, I was kind of like, it looks like the aftermath of an orgy and it doesn't help <laughs> that they're like all laughing. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so funny. And then it ends with kind of a feast that comes full circle from yeah. the beginning where their feast was them. Not even, they were arguing, but it wasn't as vicious as we've seen some of their arguments. You know, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't Rigel calling Zan a blue bitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that wasn't the level of arguing, but they were still disagreeing. Yeah. And so then they're all enjoying each other's company and they're all telling funny stories. And we kind of get, we get those things that I love in, I love in TV shows where like the whole joke itself probably wasn't that like there's no way the writers could write like a whole joke that would be as funny as like the punchline. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We get like this punchline where Rigel's like, yeah, and they didn't even know I was their dominar when they were talking. <laughs> and they're like, well, when did you tell them? And he's like, at their trial. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Um, so it ends. So at the beginning, they're arguing. At the end, they're happy. They're enjoying each other's company. And I'm going to play a clip of it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are Grandmother Crichton's famous buttermilk biscuits. What's in them? Self-rising flour, uh, salt, shortening, buttermilk, touch of honey. But we have none of those ingredients, John. Huh. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry to interrupt your meal, but how can you all be so jovial after our near miss? We were affected profoundly by it, Pilot. How are you two handling it? Well enough to alleviate your concerns about our starburst problems. There's been a change in the status of Moya's baby. Is she in any danger? Doing fine. Actually, more than fine. We're gonna have a baby? Yes. There's no exact timetable for Leviathan gestations, but Moya feels confident the day is coming. Oh, oh. Well, in that case, tell her, if she's so inclined, when it is born, she can name it after me. That would only work if it was a runt. What a girl. <laughs> this is one of the good days, people, to a healthy, happy baby. Yeah. yeah. Aww. Oh, I just love them. And now we have the recipe for Grandma Crichton's biscuits. Yeah. It did make <laughs> me want to try and go make buttermilk biscuits right now. 
and it's it's good to hear because like I said the beginning was them so fractured you know and for very practical reasons and it ends with them just becoming a family and there have been there have been a lot of episodes that started with them arguing but those episodes just always have kind of ended in the past or they end with like one or two characters kind of connecting but not the whole group together being together yeah like in in throne for a loss you know it just kind of ends with they get rigel back you know and in jeremiah crichton it just ends with dargo and john being like oh yeah i guess i'm gonna have to apologize to some people (laughs) but the other thing i really love about this ending is you kind of have pilot coming in a little bit hesitant it's like i don't understand why you're all happy and it's like still not quite at the cool kids table yet but here you could hear them inviting him and moya in Mm-hmm. With, like, Aaron asking how they're doing and wanting to make sure everything's okay and everything. And I also love the little bit at the end after Pilot says the, the baby's moving or the baby's doing really well. And John says, we're going to have a baby. As in, she is already part of the family. Moya and the baby are both already part of this family that they've really started to build here and it's really started to coalesce. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really beautiful. Yeah. And it's just so sweet. I like the idea of them being more invested positively in Moya's pregnancy. Because yeah. when when Pilot first came on, he's like, well, there's been a change. And everybody was silent because they were really scared that something bad had happened. Yeah. So this episode, how would you rate it? Oh, God, five. I love this episode. Easily. It's, this is like five plus. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. It ends on the reason that we love Farscape, which is the family. And I don't mm-hmm. know, it's real good. Yeah. And I think it, there's something very infectiously joyful about it. I know we've mentioned this before, but I think the fact that the yellow world is a laughing world really lifts the tone of the whole episode up so much. And that's kind of carried through the rest of it. It's, it's a very hopeful and positive and uplifting uplifting episode of television. And it's just, I don't know, it's one of their best episodes, I think. Yeah, it's strong. It's very, very strong. And it's, you're right about, I think that, if you cut out the yellow world and you had it being something else, like let's say, I don't know, a world where there was no air, so they had to use spacesuits or something like that, you know what I mean? It mm-hmm. wouldn't it wouldn't be as fun and it wouldn't be as strong of an episode. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. The white shirt watch, he's wearing the dark gray shirt that he's been wearing since Jerker Returns. Yep. Yeah, the white shirt died. All right. So next week A Bug's Life is next. Bug's Life. Next week we've got Bug's Life. I actually cannot remember that episode at all. <laughs> oh, so this is how you should think of A Bug's Life. A Bug's Life is episode one of the five-part finale of the season. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> well, that so sounds... it's not technically a five-part finale, but it starts the arc. And I think the other reason I love Through the Looking Glass so much is kind of this last glimpse of the innocence of season one. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say for right now. But from here on out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. You're going you're gonna to like it. Yeah, it's good. I mean, don't get us wrong. It's like, it's strong television. But yeah. Mm. <laughs> Goodbye, season one. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, if you like us, you can go ahead and rate us on iTunes. We're also on Tumblr where we have our asks on if you want to get in touch. And we have a Dream With and a website. And the names for those are Farscape Friday Podcast. Yeah. Uh, pretty much everywhere. <laughs> pretty much everywhere. All right. We'll see you next week. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.